From your friends at Relay FM, this is Upgrade Episode 75. This week's show is brought to you by Casper, Freshbrooks, and MailRoute. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined by the man perched high above San Francisco, Mr. Jason Snow. Uh, that's not that's not how my geography works. Hi, uh, you're not Mike Hurley. What happened, Stephen Hackett? You're my co-host for the Liftoff podcast. Are we talking about space today, or are we talking about computers and stuff? I think we're talking about computers and stuff. Mike Hurley is at home, sick in bed. Yeah, that's it. His, I think he's feeling a little bit better, but the problem is he sent me an email uh, the other day. The problem is that he is a professional podcaster, and he needs to use his voice for that. And uh, we talked about this on a past show, this idea that you almost, when you go to conferences and things, you almost need to protect your voice like you were a singer or something because you are a, a person who uses your voice to make a living. Um, you know, So although Mike is feeling better, his voice is not great. He did a recording session over the weekend. I mean, his voice isn't that great to begin with. Let's just be honest here. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Um, but the uh, uh, over the weekend, he did a cortex with Gray, uh, and he said by the end of it, his voice was really rough, and he was not gonna. He, he knew that it would be a problem for today, so we um, we broke the glass on the emergency backup host. And thank you for being here. I appreciate you finally letting me out of that little um, glass container you guys have kept it's me in for a year and a half. It's oxygenated. What is your problem? <laughs> you can breathe. It's fine. You and Scott Bayo are in. That's a that was a Super Bowl ad callback. Anyway, um, did you watch the Super Bowl? No. <laughs> All right. Good talk. Good talk. I'm glad we. I, I did on Twitter. It's it's fascinating during the sports stuff how people in our community, our uh, kind of nerdy computer community, there are the people who are sports fans and the people who are not. And I definitely hear from a lot of them ones who are not who say who say um, they are surprised. Because in their world, they were the people were either sports fans or they were like nerds, but they were not both. And right. and uh, you know the fact is, lots of people. I'm 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 all over the map. I'm a mess. I I like sports and I like computers and I like movies and TV shows and I like lots of things. Is what I'm saying. So don't try to pin me down. But this is not a sports podcast, so we will not talk about the superb owl. Um, other than to say that Mike. Sick in bed though he was, was apparently up in the middle of the night in England watching the Super Bowl because he likes to do that because I think he likes the spectacle of it. I think he does too. And that there is a lot of spectacle. I did see something this morning, like a, a recap of the halftime show, and it seems completely crazy. But uh, I was at home, home working, not, not watching football. Yeah. You were, you were helping put together the, uh, the document for today, and then I, I went in. It's funny, you know. Traditionally, I don't know about I don't know about other people, but but uh, traditionally, one eats dinner and perhaps ha- perhaps if you if you like this sort of thing, has an adult beverage late in the evening, and that's the time when you stop you know you stop your working and you you move on to relaxation and entertainment and other parts of your life. And yesterday was super super weird because being on the West Coast, especially the Super Bowl starts at like three in the afternoon, and we had people over. We had uh, Phil Michaels and Lisa Schmeiser came over with their daughter, and and we we took a little hike in the neighborhood. And then, uh, and and we're briefly high above San Francisco, and uh, and uh, we came back, and I, I cooked a lot of stuff. I made a, I made like a lot of food, and it was weird. So we had a lot of food, and I had a, I had some beer, and it was all sort of in the mid afternoon, which is not traditional. And then when it was all said and done, and they left, and and uh, my wife's family called, and and she was talking to them on the phone. And I came out here, and I sat down, and I worked for about an hour, and I worked on like what we're going to talk about today and some other stuff and it was just really funny that, that that's not usually how it works that you you have lots of food and drink beer and all that and then many hours later you sit down and work for a while but working at home i guess that's that's how it works 
Yeah, it's it's hard to uh, set those boundaries sometimes. But yeah, that's enough. That's enough about us. Let's talk about in the no, vein of sports. More, more, more about us. <laughs> no, that's let's, let's talk about uh, the Brain Ball All Stars. <laughs> okay, yeah. So uh, people have been asking for a long time, including you, about um, doing upgrade merchandise. Uh, because people have been listening to the show for more than a year, and we have no upgrade merchandise, and now we do. So we are working. Um, this is a this is I think a new one for Relay. We're working, although Incomparable has done this for a while with Cotton Bureau, and we have two products available for people if they would like to buy them. I don't want to turn this into a, an ad read, but it is a little bit because we want you to know that they exist, and they're only going to be on sale until February nineteenth. So uh, you need to get your order in if you want one of these. And the 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 first one is the Brain Ball T-shirt. So um, our our uh, relay designer Frank did an amazing job uh, at designing this shirt. It is the it is the uh, a sports T-shirt, except it is for the sport of Brain Ball. It features an orange brain on it, very similar to the one that I have I am looking at right now on my desk, and uh, it's labeled the Upgrade All Stars Brain Ball Established 2014. And you can get that in a navy. Uh, uh, navy t-shirt in a couple of different styles, or you can get it in a raglan, which is that sort of, if you think of it as a sort of a softball shirt, it's got, uh, it's two-toned, the sleeves are a different color, and it's, and they're, uh, they're long sleeves or three-quarter sleeves. So, uh, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I, I was really happy with it. We were thinking for a long time of what we wanted to do because we didn't want to just do like an upgrade logo t-shirt. And, uh, the brain ball is a lot of, uh, it's a fun t-shirt. I'm really looking forward to getting mine. I am uh, ordering mine right now. Okay. All right. Did you not know about it before? Or you just, no, I did. Is, I just haven't done it. My sales pitch really uh, won you yeah, over. Yeah, you talked so, me into it. So the other thing, one of the other concepts we had my, when Mike and I were talking about this is um, this idea of upgrade your wardrobe. We wanted to do something special. We wanted to do something that we hadn't done for any of the Relay podcasts before, and I haven't done for Incomparable before. And uh, so we decided we were going to do it, and it's expensive, but we, we wanted to do it because we thought it would be a lot of fun. And it's a hoodie. It's the Upgrade Your Wardrobe hoodie, and that link will also be in the show notes. Um, it is... Uh, it is an independent uh, trading company zip up hoodie. This is actually, actually, I went to the Cotton Bureau guys and said, "Can you get this hoodie? Because this is actually my favorite hoodie. This is the this is going to be your endorsement portion. This is the hoodie I wear. I have two. I have the light and heavy versions. This is the heavier version of it. Um, it's a really great zip hoodie. It's got an embroidered upgrade logo, um, which is pretty awesome on on the uh, on the front." Uh, it's it's an embroidered patch with the upgrade logo, so uh, you will look like either a really in the know podcast listener or possibly a Star Trek character as you wear it. It's uh, it's beautiful. I love it. Um, and uh, there is a secret design feature of this hoodie that we cannot reveal. But those who have the hoodie will be inculcated into a secret society of upgradians who have the upgrade your wardrobe hoodie and uh and that that is also courtesy of something that frank did that the cotton bureau people worked on us uh, worked uh, with us on it and it's uh, awesome so it is really cool so that's all and that, that's all we're going to say about it. And, it and we know that it's uh we know that it's pricey and that shipping internationally is pricey too and we're sorry about that this is sort of uh this is what we were capable of doing for this round uh, so if you would like some upgrade gear, please uh, check it out. And you've got until February uh, the 19th. Very cool. So a little more traditional follow-up now. Yeah. 
uh, over the weekend, it looks like Apple opened a repair extension program for the late 2013 Mac Pro. Upgrade listeners will be well aware that Mike owned one of these. And if you ever listened live, there were times where his computer would just stop working and then and Jason would be talking into I, the... I would, mo- I would monologue for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Answer questions from the chat room while Mike rebooted. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we had always sort of thought that, that was a GPU issue. And it looks like according to this repair program that it is. And so they are, there's a whole list of things here. Basically your computer, of course, has to fall into the manufacturer date. They usually do a serial number check and you have to be experiencing some symptoms. So some of the ones listed are distorted video, no video, freezing, restarts, preventing the system from starting up. Lots of like very power related type issues. And it seems like Apple is going to uh, take care of these. What's cool about this, people may not know this about the repair extension program, is that say that you don't buy... Uh, a, the warranty with the machine, so you don't buy the Apple Care. Apple will act as if you have for these specific issues. So, say that you have or you're experiencing this, and your computer is out of warranty. Well, you know that's they're not going to come replace an SSD if an SSD fails. But if you have this failure and you fall within these parameters, the uh, the Apple you know store, the Genius Bar, Apple Care on the phone will right. uh, will take care of it, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean that, that's I think. Given that this was has been a problem, obviously since manufacturing for some of these models, that 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 is the thing they 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 have to do. <laughs> they would get sued. I su- I suspect they might anyway. I mean, they are always getting sued. But uh, yeah, it's good. So if you've got a trash can, I uh, trash can Mac Pro, you should uh, check it out because um, even if you are not noticing many problems, I think it's worth seeing if you are eligible for this because Agreed. this is a this is a problem that will affect the, the these things should last a long time. Mm-hmm. And they cost a lot of money, and this is a this is a physical problem. This is a hardware problem that Apple has taken uh, responsibility for. So uh, I believe Mike's the the owner, the new owner of Mike's Mac Pro, will also probably take advantage of this program. But Mike yeah. sold it. He sold the Mac Pro, so he doesn't. Uh, he's got he's got a five K iMac now instead, so he doesn't have to worry about it. Yeah. So if you have thrown your Mac Pro in the trash can, go get it out, dust it off, and, and, and uh, that might be a tight fit. <laughs> Well, I, I don't know. I got a big trash can oh, here. You okay, can all right. A couple of Mac Pros in there. Uh, so the uh, the five SC is in the news again. This uh, yes, the rumored, rumored the rumored uh, rumored new small uh, replacement for the five S uh, with uh, more iPhone six technology in it. Um, and this is it's funny because Mike and I talked about colored iPhones and colored Apple products. Um, I think last week. And then there's this rumor. I hope we didn't start this rumor, <laughs> but it's it's a rumor from Mac, a story from Mac Rumors that uh, is referencing a Japanese website. So it's you know it's one of those rumor stories. But still, <laughs> that there are uh, other colors for the uh, iPhone 5 SE, um, including a pink shade that they say is different than the rose gold of it and you know who knows whether this is real or not and whether it's just one color uh but uh, i love the idea in general of apple 
as we said last week, you know, you were looking at, you've got all the old hardware. You look at those iPod Nanos, and I guess you get them mostly in, in the blue, but still, they're all, it's like, a, it's a blue iPod Nano. And every time I looked in my drawer of, like, old iPods that I had at Macworld, um, I was, you know, here's a pink one, and here's a red one, and here's a blue one, and here's an orange one. And and that gave them all personality. And when I look at my drawer of iPhones and things, um, you know, it's, oh, that one's silver, that one's darker. Uh, metallic, you know, it's just a, it's kind of boring. So I think it would be great if they put colors not just on the 5SE, but but everywhere. Yeah, the the Nano. I mean, you guys touched on it. It really is like the the example, right? Even though for the ones for my video, I bought all blue ones. Even the the shades differ. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Apple really, you know, they they were pl- playful is the adjective that comes to mm-hmm. mind with the iPod Nano, and I think it'd be fun to have that. Uh, in the iPhone as well, and you know maybe this 5SE would I would only imagine would be lower volume than the other ones, and so maybe it's a way to start doing that, you know, without committing to to a product like the iPhone Success, which they right. just sold. Well, we know that the, the, that the five uh, the five C right came in colors, and although that didn't do as well as I think people expected it to, which you know in hindsight is that surprising? I mean, it was it was I think that was like Apple's lesson in um, don't just make you know they changed the shell but in the and called it a different name but inside it was still the old phone and you know i feel like felt like an aberration for them from their usual thing which is just look it's the old phone <laughs> that seems like a simpler conversation to have with people so the 5c you know but the 5c did that it had colors and and the and the colorful back and all that but you know, I don't know. I, I just, I think it's, I think the iPod showed us. It was a lot of fun having those colorful things and it, you got to make a choice. And for whatever reason, choosing between red and blue and, and orange and green is more exciting than choosing between, you know, these various shades of gray, perhaps with a, a gold tint. Right. Uh, yeah, it's less exciting. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. We heard from listener Luca about oh, yes. this uh, shutting off a Mac from an iOS device question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we had a question on Ask Upgrade about uh, turning off, uh, I think it was turning off Plex on a Mac from an iOS device. And we got three three pieces of feedback. So Luca wrote in and said, uh, Alfred Remote will do that, which is an iOS app that talks to the Alfred app that runs on the Mac. That is an automation app. And so you can run Alfred Remote on that on that computer and turn off the Mac. I'm not sure you might be able to set up a script that turns off Plex and trigger it via Alfred Remote. Um, and also, it's just an interesting idea that you know if you use Alfred, you may not even be aware that there's the iOS app that will will trigger uh, stuff from your from your iOS device. But I also heard from listener Simon who had a very uh, nerdy way of, uh, of doing this that I thought was cool, which was you say, you have an Apple script that says, you know, tell application Plex to quit. <laughs> you put that on the Mac. Um, and then you use Workflow, the iOS app, uh, and you create a workflow that, um, that SSHs into your computer and runs the script using the OSA script command. Um, and then you do the same thing with a different script to launch Plex. I thought that was really, uh, really clever. And that, I think that would totally work. Um, and then listener David wrote in and said, you can also use, similar to the, the Alfred recommendation, you can also use Keyboard Maestro Control, which is an app that can, lets you control Keyboard Maestro, another utility, um, to call a quit Plex macro that you create in Keyboard Maestro. So, um, 
it sounds like those are those are all ways whether you want to build it yourself or whether you want to use um, a, a third party utility and an app of uh, turning down uh, turning off a Mac or quitting a specific app that's running on the Mac. So lots of options if you want to do that. So thank you to Luca and Simon and David because they all uh, they all piled on with with uh, various ways you could do it. Or you could just use, you know, remote desktop using screens or uh, iTeleport or something like that, which right. which is what I usually do. But uh, it's more fiddly for sure. Yeah, I've I've used the Alfred remote, uh, and it, it really is pretty uh, pretty handy. I have a Mac Mini hooked up to our television. Sometimes, if I need, just need to do something quick to that instead of, you know, as good as screens is, especially on the iPad Pro. Sometimes it's quicker just to to tell it to do something as opposed to going and doing it yourself. And I think that's where these scripts and remote firing come in handy when you don't have access to the GUI or don't want to you know, tap around your phone on, <laughs> on a, you know, a visualization of your Mac screen. So lots of good solutions here, I think for people. Yeah. I think that's all the follow-up we have. I think so. Do you want to tell us about our first sponsor this week? Sure, absolutely. Uh, this episode of Upgrade brought to you by Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses you can get for a fraction of the price that you would find in a store. Now, if you've shopped for a mattress before, you have been frustrated. I know I have the last couple of mattresses we bought in a showroom with a salesperson hovering usually, and you lay down for a minute, and you try to imagine that that minute was eight hours. <laughs> <laughs> you can't because it doesn't work like that. And they always have sales, which means means that probably the base prices are inflated, but then they have a sale that cuts it down. And I don't know, I, I was always uncomfortable because I felt like I didn't have a lot of information as a consumer, nor did I have a lot of power. And I was just sort of going to have to close my eyes and make a purchase decision and hope for the best. Um, one of the nice things about the internet in general is that a lot of these kind of uncomfortable consumer behaviors you don't have to participate in anymore. And I think that Casper has actually done a great job of this because... Um, so their mattress is clever. It's made of uh, a couple of different types of foam. There's a latex foam that gives it this really great feel on the top. And then it's got memory foam underneath that gives it a lot of firmness. So it's a really combination of uh, being firm but also being comfortable uh, that is uh, is not like the old mattresses that I used to buy at all. Um, and then because it's foam, they can pack it in this little uh, vacuum-sealed bag inside a cardboard box, and they can mail it to you. So you don't have to go to a showroom. You don't have to pay hundreds of dollars for, for uh, delivery men to bring you uh, a mattress to your door. Uh, it, it comes in a box, and you open it up, and it expands, and now you've got the mattress. And then the best part is... Well, the best part is sleeping on it. But if you uh, if you don't like it, you you don't have that pressure of well, I just spent hundreds of dollars on a mattress that I can't take back, and I don't like it. What do I do now? With Casper, you if you don't like it uh, for a hundred days, you can uh, you can send it back. You can like it on all of those days. You can <laughs> you could dislike it for all those days. At the point when you realize that you don't like it, you send it back. You get your money back. Casper will take it back. So there's no risk to you in trying it. You can go on the internet, you can order a Casper mattress. And the mattress prices are pretty great. Um, mattresses often cost a lot of money. Casper's mattresses are generally uh, better than industry averages. You know, 500 for a twin, 750 for full, all the way up to 950 for a king. They're all made in America. And, uh, you know, basically you can avoid the showroom with Casper. And yet, what I find, because I've had one for more than a year, is a very comfortable mattress, and there was no stress about it. it 
it was uh, it was so great. We actually went out and bought a new bed frame because we like the Casper so much. We wanted to kind of upgrade the furniture to fit with the Casper. So it was actually, you know, I, I I definitely have had a great experience with Casper. But the best thing is if you don't, they will take it away and you get your money back. Now, listeners of Upgrade can get $50 toward any mattress purchase. You just go to casper.com slash upgrade. Use the code upgrade and get $50 toward any Casper mattress purchase. Thank you to Casper for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. It's Casper. That's the story. It is not a ghost. It is a mattress. It's a great mattress. Yeah. So this week, or I guess now last week, there was this big article over on The Verge written by Walt Marsberg. I'm sure you heard about it uh, by now, so I'm not going to really dive into the article too yeah. much, I don't think. But basically, I think his sort of uh, high-level argument is that Apple's first-party apps, so things like Mail and Safari and Calendar, the apps mm-hmm. that Apple builds that sort of sit on top of the operating system, that those have really fallen down in quality over the last several years, several releases, mm-hmm. both on the Mac and iOS, and where they kind of meet each other in the service cloud layer. And it it really it took off. I mean, there there's a lot of response to this, all basically people kind of nodding their head in agreement. And for me, I thought it was an interesting thing to jump off from to talk about what we use, like what first-party apps are in our workflows and what do we rely on that Apple builds besides the OS itself? Yeah, I think the distinction between the operating systems and the apps is is interesting. And sometimes it's unfair because some of the apps really are part of the operating system process and others are less so. But um, I do think it's interesting to separate them out and say, hey, you know, how many of the problems that people have with Apple are not the OS uh, but are there are the uh, these first party apps or our services or some combination of both because um, Apple's doing a lot of jobs here right they're doing hardware and software but and services but the software is actually the OS stuff that's more fundamental and then uh, apps that come along with some of which are kind of tied to fundamental parts of the operating system and others others aren't um, I'm not using any mail and calendar stuff from Apple at this point are you uh, I am actually. Uh, I use Mail.app both on the Mac and on iOS, but I feel like the time uh, that time is coming to an end. And I use so I use mm-hmm. Gmail for my personal stuff, and yeah. then I, I use Google Apps for work. Yep, me too. And they, they work fine. You know, I think it was that Mavericks had like a lot of like really bad Gmail uh, issues, but it it, it works now fine but you lose a lot of the sort of extra stuff that you can do on top of gmail and for me those features are becoming more important than being able to use what's built in so i do use mail but maybe not for too much longer yeah i i think probably around the time that you're talking about with mavericks sort of having very bad gmail problems i ended up uh using um a, trying a bunch of different apps and i kept coming back to mailplane which is just some pretty stuff on top of the gmail interface mm-hmm. and just the web interface and i thought that would be something that i there's no way that i would stick with it and yet i've stuck with it and now when i go back to mail i think yeah you know, it's 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 better than it was. It's actually mail in in uh, in El Capitan is much better than than it was in some ways. Like it's much more efficient in checking mail than it ever used to be. But I've always had a love hate relationship with mail. Like mail is you know it's always been inefficient and it felt like something that was built for very by very particular users for themselves. 
and that there are lots of uh, ways people use mail outside of working at Apple that mail <laughs> never really – I mean, the, the inefficiency was one of the big things is like it was built for – having as much data as you could possibly need and it would just check i'm at mailboxes in the background and wouldn't prioritize you get new mail and you and you couldn't see it because it was downloading other things and it basically would make you wait to see what was in your inbox and that's just that no mail program should ever do that but mail mail did that and it's actually better at that now than it used to be but i think it took apple employees uh working on airplane wi-fi to discover at last that mail was inefficient at that. And it's got, you know, it's right. got weird quirks and stuff. And you're right. If you use features of Gmail, then it's not, um, it's not uh, fantastic. And also a lot of, you know, people have been trying to reconceptualize mail for a long time. And, uh, 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 and recently we've seen a lot of, uh, you know, scheduling your mail and prioritizing it like a to-do list and stuff like that. And, and mail seems behind the curve on all of that as well. Yeah, it does. And, um, the, the thing about mail that, that sort of sticks with me though, is that it is so integrated and that with any of these app replacements, especially on iOS, it's hard to, um, like really integrate, uh, a third party app into all the system stuff, the really, the way that mail is because mails <laughs> comes with it. And that's for me, like, all of these apps are always going to be a little bit behind until Apple, if Apple uh, allows third-party apps to, to swap in as the default, like they do on the Mac. On the Mac, you can do that most of the time, but not on iOS yet. Yeah, it's... Um, I had actually had this last night where I I, uh, I, I mentioned we uh, had, had Phil and Lisa over to watch the Super Bowl, and um, they asked for one of the recipes of one of the things that I made. And I wanted to email it to them, and I, I was on my iPad, and I had the Safari open. And I, I thought... I had that moment of like, can I share this? <laughs> you know? and, and there are still times, and I was able to share that with Outlook, which I'm using right now, and send it that way. But there mm-hmm. are times, even now, where things come up where iOS still really wants to use Apple Mail to send something out. And... um it's a problem, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it means that you always need, I feel like, uh, depending on your settings, there are a lot of people, if you use a third-party tool, you're basically double-loading everything. Because I think that unless you've got the settings right, you know, mail is still going to load your mail <laughs> if right. you've got mail set up, even if you're using some other mail app. And that's dumb and wasteful. But I, I think it's just, you know, it, it's not a drop-in replacement or anything like that. But I, I wouldn't go back to Apple Mail, I think, at this point, because I do like some of those extra features. Um, even though I think Apple Mail on iOS, I have no problem with it. I think it's fine. Um, I don't think it's burdened by the, the history of Apple Mail on the desktop. Yeah, one thing I, I would like to see these third-party apps do better at, though, is multi-account support. So I used to use MailPlane when I had a jobby job for my work email. And so mm-hmm. everything was just in there, and I used Gmail on iOS for that account. And so it was completely, like, firewalled off from personal email. But now that firewall doesn't really exist anymore, and I've got three accounts I need to check. And, like, even the Gmail app on iOS, which is pretty good, um, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump yeah. through. To see like a unified inbox, for instance, which I love on the Mac. Yeah, unified and inbox is is uh, it's like the holy grail of third party mail apps. Yeah, that that is that that would be a reason to to 
not use a system that doesn't unify your inbox. And in fact, you know, that's why when I was working at Macworld, I generally did use a mail app that was not Mailplane because I wanted a unified inbox. I wanted to see all my mail, even though it was coming from different accounts and going back out through different accounts. I didn't want to, I wanted a list of what mail I needed to de- deal with. And then eventually right. the mail problems got so bad because of OS updates and also because of server updates that happened at, at IDG that I, I did end up with <laughs> two separate uh, windows for mail and you know it was it's another thing to check um so i don't know it's it's a uh, apple mail it's funny I, I was just telling somebody the other day about and I've, i know i've said on the show before that um it's funny that we're in this position where in some cases i really prefer the ios counterpart of mac apps and we're going to talk about the mac a little bit later but this is this is sort of one of those things about technical debt i feel like where you know, Apple Mail is new uh, on iOS, and on the Mac, it's it's based on Next Mail. I think. I mean, it's it's a much older app for sure. Um, and I feel this way about the Microsoft Office apps too. Like Office for iOS, I feel like is such a uh, fresh breath of air, and I don't feel that way about Office on the Mac. <laughs> and it's kind of not fair because it's an older platform, and they've got a lot of users to support who they've who've been using it for a long time, and it's it's a different game. But in the end. It's a disadvantage to those Mac apps that they have to support um, that, you know, they, that they have that history and they have to support that user base. And, um, you know, I, Apple has shown in the past that it is unafraid sometimes to make a big break from the past with something like iMovie or GarageBand. Um, and I wonder if the solution to something like Mail or iTunes, which we should probably also talk about, is taking that kind of bold step with those apps and say, Mail's going to be really different than it's been before, or iTunes is going to be really different, please, please, than it's been before. Because over you know, 10, 15, 20 years, just junk builds up on apps. And iOS really makes it clear because the iOS stuff hasn't had that much time for the junk to build up yet. It's only still building up. Right. What about uh what about web browsers? That's uh, another common one. I think that that people swap out. So I use Safari on iOS, but on the Mac I've switched to Chrome full time and have for years now. What about you? Uh I'm Safari all the way, honestly. Um I use Chrome. Chrome is my it remains my flash holding bin of oh <laughs> this web page wants to load a video using flash i will go open that in chrome but i use um yeah i'm using safari everywhere and part of that is the is just the ecosystem thing right which is that if i have a browser window open uh on my ipad i can call it up on my mac and safari and vice versa because i can see that they're um that they're that they uh there's icloud tabs right right so i have access to all of that and i have access to the history um from place to place and i safari generally works well for me there are those moments where i get really frustrated with safari but even even then i try chrome and i get frustrated by it and i come back to safari um i just safari generally works for me except there was that really sad moment was it last year when uh, google apps stuff just basically broke in safari yeah (laughs) for a while basically i think the almost the whole run of yosemite's version of safari it just it just didn't work right and all the twitter links don't work half the time in uh in safari now because of some i don't know redirect problem that a t.co link will just 
not load. Yeah, I'm sure that's fine. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> yeah, who needs Twitter and, links? Yeah, yeah. And Chrome, Chrome has gotten clever. So if you are using Handoff and you have something open in Safari on iOS, you can hand it off to Chrome on the Mac and vice mm. versa. But those iCloud tabs, right? So my iPad Pro is at home today, asleep, and I left a tab open in it. That I can't get to without using Safari. Without using Safari, Safari uses that iCloud tab feature. But the handoff stuff, they've gotten pretty good at sort of pretending to be Safari, which I think is a clever way around it. Because well, I good. don't want to use a third-party browser on iOS. So why, why are you using great. Chrome? Why are you using Chrome on Mac? Uh, part of it was the, uh, the Yosemite thing, yeah. Google Apps thing last year. But a big part of it, too, is that I, uh, for a couple different things, I need different profiles in Chrome. So Chrome, you can go in and say, you know, this this profile is logged into this Google Apps account and, and I have one separate for my YouTube creator account because that stuff is crazy and needs to be sandboxed. Um, uh. And so that that is helpful in my sort of everyday work. But the big thing is I just, I have found Safari to be sort of, sort of have these weird little bugs with stuff that I need to use and uh, which was infuriating for a long time because they're both built on WebKit and now that's broken off and yeah. Uh, Google and Apple are no longer really working together on WebKit. No, nope, they're not web buddies anymore. No, and they broke up. So uh, for me, I just I find Chrome to be faster and to sort of yeah. be a little more universally supported. That said, there are problems. I mean, Chrome is very famously a complete energy hog on the Mac. I yeah. mean, you can you can see a significant battery life increase if you switch from Chrome back to Safari, but um. Uh, most of the time, it just seems to work better for me. And uh, it, hey, it's nice to have nice to have options. But um, uh, I will grant that it does not feel as native or as refined as Safari does at times. Yeah. Uh, so my wife uses Chrome, and she prefers it. And it's a lot of the reasons that you said. And I think that's totally reasonable. I just uh, it just doesn't uh, seem necessary for me, so I don't do it. But it, it uh, it's purpose. It's a purpose use browser for me i guess i would say so like i said i i mean i can say the video stuff that's true but if i ever have a hiccup in google apps i just go to chrome because it is obviously google is building their apps to work in chrome at, right. at, at, at for the best experience and it is the best experience they they feel um, much more streamlined and less sluggish than they do on safari that that's the fact um and, uh, yeah, every now and then there are features that Chrome has that Safari doesn't. So, like, uh, those podcasts, uh, I recorded last week's TV Talk Machine podcast with Tim Goodman. Um, I don't have him record his end of the conversation like we do with most of our podcasts because it's just too much, it's too much work. He's not a particularly technical guy. He's a really insightful TV critic, but he's not a technical guy at all. And, um, I've been using Cast with him a little bit, which is, you know, TriCast, T-R-Y-C-A dot S-T, which is a, uh, Basically, it's a podcast service where you uh, set up a podcast and send people a link and they and they uh, click on the link in Chrome and you have the conversation and it's doing all of the recording and uploading in the background. So you don't have to be technical at all. As long as you've got a microphone, uh, you can be part of the conversation and you get the highest audio quality at the end of it, which is great. But you cannot do that with Safari. Safari doesn't support those protocols yet. Hopefully it will at some point. But until it does... Uh, that's an example where it's just like you got to use Chrome or I think Firefox or something, but I'm not going to use Firefox. I would use, so I use Chrome for some stuff, but <laughs> I haven't, I haven't completely switched. I think it's, I think part of it is just comfort in Safari and part of it is the ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, so kind of coming to this a little bit, what about, uh, what about mapping? I know for me here, 
in Memphis, Apple Maps has basically always been fine. I've never had the sort of horror stories of it taking me to an abandoned warehouse when I was trying to go to the pediatrician's <laughs> office. Um, but you spend time uh, in a much bigger city sometimes. Um, how, how has Maps been for you? Well, Maps is, uh, I am fortunate to live in the area in which Apple uh, is located. So the maps here are great. <laughs> the Apple maps are great. Um, and I wrote, I mean, we talked about it on the show with with Mike before that, that I, I used Apple maps a lot on my, in the beta for iOS 9 last summer on our road trip. And I thought it worked pretty great. But again, that was a West Coast, that uh, was a West Coast road trip. And I've heard that in some parts of the, of the U.S., and especially I've heard in other countries, the Maps data is still bad. But um, I, I think the Maps app is good, and the data is uh, and the data is good in some places, right? I think the app itself is not is not a problem. I think that's more of a, a services problem. Uh, every now and then, I get frustrated by the Maps app, but uh, and I do try the Google Maps app from time to time. Sometimes as a second opinion. And I do use that occasionally. It's a little bit like my Chrome experience where I try to use the Apple stuff, but I will also use the other, the, the, the Google stuff from time to time. And, you know, I don't have a, I don't have a big problem with it. The Google stuff is good too. I think Google adding lane guidance has been really good. And that's a place where Apple is behind. Google's lane guidance isn't always reliable. But it is, I like the idea that it's trying to tell you what lane you need to get in on the freeway because that can be, um, you know, the more information you get, the better when you're driving somewhere, especially if it's someplace unfamiliar. So I was in, um, I was in Phoenix the other week and driving on Interstate 10 through Phoenix. And there are a couple places there where the old, and Map still does this, the old style, like in, in two miles remain on the road. And you're like, why did you say that? And the answer is, um, because they're the, in their map interface, they've got a, there's an exit only lane. And the way the computer program translates that is basically to tell you to stay on the road and not exit, which is kind of dumb because you're on the road. So why would you exit? Um, but when you get lane guidance in, you can, you can have a little more intelligence and you can say, you know, stay in the, stay in the left three lanes. And, uh, and that's more helpful or go, you know, the right use, use the right two lanes to exit or something like that can be helpful. So the, when I use Google maps, I do recognize that they are, uh, they're ahead of Apple in, in, uh, in terms of data. And it's not surprising, right? It's Google, Google, Google has been ahead of everybody in terms of that kind of data for a long time. What about, uh, what about notes? Notes obviously got a big overhaul this past year. It won, and, it won an upgrady. Uh, you know, Mike and I gave it an upgrady. So it's true. Uh, that's so big still, news. Big news. Still happy with it. So, still waiting for Apple to put the upgrady on the uh, notes page on the Apple website. Is there a notes page on the Apple website? <laughs> I'm sure um, there is. Uh, yeah. I, I was just using it the other day. I just, we, uh, John Syracuse and I recorded an episode of Robot or Not, and I have a little note that is all of the things that I need to ask him about whether they're robots or not. Um, I've got all my notes of when I watch a movie for the incomparable, those are in there. And, uh, I've got, uh, we just did a, we did an episode of the incomparable where we did an album draft. Um, and I wrote down all the albums that I was thinking of drafting in that in notes. So I use notes as just a holding bin for stuff. And the, and the biggest reason is because it's capable of doing everything I want and it syncs to all of my devices. And that is, that that's what I want. You know, I, I, I don't want to use, I don't want to save things in a text file on my Mac. If I know that I'm going to be uh, using them 
on my iPad because then what I'm going to maybe go to Dropbox if I saved it in Dropbox. It's just not worth it. Just put it in Notes and then it'll show up on my iPhone and my iPad. So that's I, I definitely use it. Do you do you use Notes? Uh, I do for some stuff. I went real heavy uh, into it when it first uh, showed up this past year and I've since re- reverted kind of back to where I was where I have most of the stuff that I keep notes on live as plain text files on Dropbox and I use Envy Alt on the Mac and OneWriter which Federico turned me on to oh, yeah. on iOS and, and OneWriter does a really great trick where it downloads the file locally so if you're offline with your iOS device you can edit the document and it syncs back with Dropbox when it comes online which kind of solves that problem that you were talking about of like well it's on Dropbox or it's on the Mac I don't know where it is it, OneWriter does a good job of that but Notes is still definitely used um for exactly what you said, that sort of like short burst stuff. Of, hey, I just need, um, you know, like I need a uh, to run to the store. And this is what I need to get. Or if I'm just sort of stuck somewhere, I just need to get some thoughts out of my head and and just get something out of my brain into something else. Like uh, just this past week, we had some concrete work done at our house, and so I'm on the phone with the contractor, and uh, you know, he's kind of telling me the line items of the prices and everything before he sends me over the the document. And I'm just kind of just taking notes on our phone call. And like, oh, yeah, these are the questions I need to ask. This is what I need to look out for. This is the day that my kids can walk on the concrete without sinking into it. Um, just that little sort of stuff that doesn't have a home anywhere else. I found notes to be really, really good at. Yeah, notes. I think that's that's becoming the consensus is that this laughing stock kind of app <laughs> is actually uh, now pretty. Now pretty good. Um, I also use reminders, which I don't use a lot. It's not like my uh, to-do... Well, I guess it is. I don't have a to-do system. Let's put it that way. I don't have a to-do system, but I have reminders lists. I have a reminders list of... Especially I have a working list of like story ideas for six colors and, uh, and my macro column. Um, so I use it for that. And then I use the integration with, uh, with Siri to do... Any list, uh, shopping list stuff, and that all goes through reminders. But that's that's about that's about it for that. But I do that that I don't use another to do list. So reminders is my to do list, I suppose. That has given me heartburn thinking about not having a task management system. Well, <laughs> but, uh, that that is one of the ways where we are totally different people. I have no task. I have tried all the task management systems. This is a topic Mike and I should talk about this. Maybe there should be an intervention or something, but I've tried all the task management systems and I just, I can't get them. I can't get into them. I can't use them. I've tried them all and it just doesn't, it just doesn't stick for me. So that, this is why I am a, a, a complete abject failure who never does anything. <laughs> mm. <laughs> The <laughs> Somehow I get it all done, but it's, it's not through a system. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm sweating thinking about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I, I use OmniFocus for all that stuff, but I do use reminders. Uh, they're shared, the shared list. So in reminders, you can say, hey, um, I want to share this list with another iCloud email address. And that person can go in there and you both yeah. have like read, write access to the list. And so my wife and I keep one for the grocery store and and then we kind of keep a second one for like, like non grocery store shopping, so like Target or whatever. And so if like just uh, yesterday, um, coming home and she took the kids in uh, to pick up something to eat at a restaurant to go, and I just went to the grocery store next door. We didn't have to like sit in the car and be like, oh, do we have this? Do we need this? Um, it was very much a hey, uh, I know it's in reminder, so I can just pop into Kroger and I buy these eight things, and everyone's happy and everyone knows what's going on. So it's. The shared functionality in Reminders is really what made it click for us. And I really hope that Notes gets that 
uh, soon where you can say, hey, you know, this note uh, my wife and I share and uh, we both have rewrite access to it. I think that'd be a really logical place for notes to mm. extend in the near future. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I, so, I realized that I could horrify and excite Mike by telling him that my entire to-do system is just writing things down on scraps of paper because he would be horrified because that's not a system, but I would have to use a pen. <laughs> it's uh, You'd make his day and destroy his day all in one move. All at once. Should we, should we touch, before we move on off this topic, we, should we touch the, the, the third rail of, uh, of uh, apps, which is iTunes yeah. and Apple Music on iOS? <laughs> you just said the sobs of sadness. Well, is. there you go. So, I mean, I use iTunes every day. I, I'm not an Apple Music subscriber. Listen, listeners of Connected will know that no streaming music service has really entered my life in any meaningful way yet. So I have a bunch of files on disk that iTunes can play, and I sync them uh, to my iPhone and my iPad and you know, an iPod Nano I used to work out with and that sort of thing. And iTunes has gotten pretty bad. And anyone who has opened iTunes anytime recently knows that, where things that used to be simple... And things that used to be fast are neither simple nor fast anymore. And they've they, it's become bloated in a way that, like you said, you know, th- these apps pick up weight as they go they go along. And they yeah. pick up features they don't need. I mean, uh, I know this for a fact because I uh, have a problem. The current version of iTunes, you can restore an original iPod from 2001 in Indeed. and like sync music to it. Like I love that as a collector, but like that doesn't need to be there. <laughs> Why is that still no. there? I think it's really time for iTunes uh, on the Mac to, to either get broken up into different apps or to really see some of this stuff go away. Oh, and uh, I know from they need to do like, they need to do the, the an X on it, right? They need to right. do that that Final Cut 10, that uh, Logic 10, that uh, GarageBand 10, whatever it is. It's that it's that. Hey, we still call it maybe the this thing, but it's not this thing anymore. Or just change the name of it too, because although people are like, no, you can't change the name of iTunes. iTunes is important. Well, there could be an iTunes app like there is on iOS that's just like the store and stuff. Um, and, and that would be fine, but the iTunes app, I, I think, I mean, everybody seems to be in agreement about this. It's just, you gotta blow it up. You gotta, you gotta blow the thing up. What is the line from aliens? Pull out, nuke the site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. I think that's what you gotta do. And they may be doing it. I mean, they may have spent the last two years trying to do this and it just hasn't happened yet. But, you know, iTunes can't, as a product, just can't stand. It, It cannot, it cannot continue. It is, it's been a disaster for years and I use it every day. And it's just, it's a mess. And it, it's doing 10 things at once. It doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's like an operating system unto itself. And it's just, it's got to it's gotta go. They, they should make a very nice music player that is integrated super well with iCloud. And that'll be a great app. And they can make a syncing app for all their devices and device data. And, you know, it's not like they have, you know, you control your syncing from the Photos app, which is another Apple app that I use all the time. Um you know, photos isn't built into iTunes. It's It's got a place in iTunes where you can sync your photos and it talks to photos and it looks at the photos database and lets you pick albums. So it's not like these apps have to live together and be the same app. They can talk to each other. So you make a syncing app and you make a music app and you make a store app and make they them all good. They used to have good. a syncing app. They could just bring it back. I sync. <laughs> I sync. They could bring it back. But it's just not, I mean, it, it's not in a, it, it's not good. It's It's just a, it's a mess right now. Yeah, and I think this idea that apps, 
gain new features over time and they become sort of uh, something that they were never intended to be. I think that's what's happening to music.app on iOS where it started out really simply. I can seek music from my computer over and I can listen to it. And then they added purchasing, which uh, I think they did a pretty good job of, memory serves me correctly, of being able to download new music from the iTunes store on your device and it and it do what it's supposed to do. But Apple Music being bolted to the back of all of that um, just still is in the chat room just jumping up and down screaming about yes. it. It's, it's really not gone well for a lot of people and even as someone who doesn't use it, it's annoying <laughs> that it's there. And, and and I've actually resorted to turning on parental controls on my device to get rid of some of it so yeah. I don't have to see it. And I really think it, Apple Music would be better served in its own app. But um, mm-hmm. I feel like if they were going to do that, they would have done it. And they, they obviously spent time merging the two. And so I think that's what Apple views is the best way to do it. I think so. Well, I think they could do, I think they could do a better job keeping them separate. I think one of the most disappointing things I use the music app and I think it's fine, although it's overly complicated. Um, I can use it. I can get what I want out of it, but, um, and we should put a link in the notes. Joe Steele did write a piece. Uh, it's a little bit ranty, but that's okay. He was, he was in in the mood to rant, um, about, he tried using, uh, the Amazon prime music app and it's a, it's instructive in how it's trying to do a very similar thing to what Apple does and does it in a very different way and a more probably a better way than what Apple is doing. We'll put it that way. But um, my big disappointment with the music app is really that it feels like Apple made decisions in the music app design to push everybody who uses their iPhone to listen to music or their iPad or their iPod touch to push Apple music on them. That's the problem I have with it is I don't feel when I look at that app, I don't look at it and say, well, the reason that they did this this way is because uh, it makes it easier on the customer. It makes it easier on the user. It, it feels to me like somebody said, do you realize the only way that this music service we're launching is going to succeed is if we get in the face of everybody who listens to music. So let's get in their faces at all times and make it really hard for them to use this without using Apple Music so that Apple Music will be something that people just get to, you know, because they're confused or, you know, and, you know, maybe nobody said, we're let's confuse them and make their lives harder hard but it really feels like they're saying let's push apple music we need to push apple music this needs to be an app that is really pushing our service mm-hmm. and um that's the thing that bothers me about it is that i think that that um i just get that feeling that these were not decisions made to make uh, me happy as a user even as an apple music subscriber they were they were made to get to you know to get the eyeballs who use the app to be aware that apple it has a subscription music service and that's not, it, it needs to not do that. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it feels very unapple like, right? You, you launch music for the first time and you get a full screen ad for yeah. the Apple music service. And I agree with you. That feels like a decision that was well, done by business people and not people who were concerned with that user experience at Apple says it prides itself on and even even as an apple music subscriber which i am the the prioritization of the tabs is ridiculous on itunes and on apple music where it's sort of like um an apple music the uh, music.app right it's it's a uh, it's like for you and new and the, like and in the corner is my library i i 
you know, maybe that Apple, that's a major philo- philosophical change to say what's really important to you is our, is our stuff mm-hmm. and not your stuff. And I just don't, I just don't agree. <laughs> I think that that's a mistake. I think if I have music in my library, my library is important to me and I should be able to play the music in my library. And as an iOS user, you don't have really another choice to play music unless you're using another streaming service. But if you have like music that you want to load onto your device, you're probably going to use the the what used to be the iPod app back in the day and you know instead it's kind of off in the corner of this subscription service app and the integration between the two is nice it could be better actually as a subscriber I kind of want it to be better because there are too many times when I'm searching for something and I have to decide where I want to search for it but um, and then iTunes is in there too which is even more confusing and uh, on uh, on the Mac, where you're, you're in some contexts, you're searching either your library or iTunes, and in another context, it's either your library or Apple Music, because um, there's three different sources of information: mm-hmm. the uh, the the purchases and the and the streaming. I don't know. It's it's a mess, and I'm not saying that it's easy um, to do. I, I, it, this is a hard problem, but uh, you know, Amazon took a different approach, and it's simpler, and it's and it's uh, and it's a uh, you know, they, and their challenge is a little bit easier, but still. It, this is this is work that 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 needs to be done, and uh, I just can't help but feel like we have the evidence we've got is that iTunes hasn't gotten any better, and uh, that the the music app is uh, feels kind of like an ad for Apple Music, and th- this is not this is this is a relationship that needs to be repaired. I guess is what I'm saying. It is, and you know, in thinking about this whole discussion about. Apple software quality, and then just the exercise you and I went through of, well, what do we use and what do we not use? The the other angle that I can't help but think about is uh, that I think that, I do think that conversational quality is, I think it's a real thing. I think it's something worth discussing. But there's also an angle where some of these, these apps and these tools just aren't meant for us, where you and I and people listening are to a degree, uh, you know, some, some sort of power user somewhere on that spectrum of computer users and iOS users and um, people, technology enthusiasts who do know and care about the differences between something like OmniFocus and Reminders or something like iCloud, Keychain, and 1Password, right? Like on the surface, they do the, sort of the same thing, but if you get into it and you care to get into it, you know that, that they're different. And I think that's sort of a um, something to remain aware of in this conversation that just because Reminders, for instance, doesn't meet my needs doesn't mean it's a bad app necessarily. It just means that it's not for me and that that's totally fine. And I completely understand that Apple has to write their first party apps to aim for the masses and the masses don't know or care about snoozing your email. And there yes. are a segment of people who do care about that and they are you know, the people that we talk to on Twitter and listen to the shows and they're on the shows. But that's an important thing to remember that um, you and I might have problems with mail, but a lot of people don't. And uh, they might run into software issues and, and that's that other sort of rail to this conversation. But uh, it, it's easy, I think, and it's tempting to sort of conflate those two things in this argument. And it's something that I try to be aware of that just because something doesn't meet my needs doesn't mean that it's bad. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, it's something we should always keep in mind, right? Uh, th- that's the constant challenge of when I was talking about difficulty earlier. I mean, these aren't easy things. Apple, Apple has to build tools for the 
99% of users, right? Um, there is a small percentage of people who are, who are going to want to do more, but we are a small percentage of people and we may be, uh, you know, we, 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 and we are those people, right? Whether we're 1% or half a percent or 10% or 5%, whatever it is, Apple's responsibility is first to everybody and the, the, and, and keeping it simple as a part of that. Um, unfortunately with something like Apple music, it feels like, you know, they're not keeping it simple either, but I don't expect Apple mail to ever transform into a superpower kind of feature. Although I do feel like Apple mail maybe could be a place where Apple could say, wouldn't it be nice if we told you about this email on Monday that you got over the weekend, they, they could try that, but they would have to be thinking, you know, who's their audience for that, that app and, uh, and then getting out of the way and letting the third parties and they, they have, right. I mean, you don't have to use Apple mail, so that's fine. Yeah. I think there's always going to be that tension there and that's not a uniquely Apple problem, but it's one that I feel is more, um, uh, sort of acutely felt by people who are on our side of it, who do need or want more, and then throw that in with the, oh, it's also sort of unreliable at times. It's kind of a, a, a nasty one-two punch. Yeah. <sighs> Software, Jason. How does it work? How does it work? Well, so let's, uh, we're going to talk about the Mac a little bit more, uh, but uh, we should take a break first. You want to tell people about uh, our next sponsor? I do. You know, on Upgrade, there's a lot of conversation about the way technology shapes our lives for the better, and we're super excited to welcome FreshBooks as our newest sponsor because, quite frankly, as a business owner, that's what they do what they do for me. If you haven't heard about FreshBooks, let me tell you where they're awesome. These folks are on a mission to help small business owners save time and avoid the stress that comes with running their business. And it all starts with pain-free invoicing. If you've ever done any freelance work or a project for somebody, creating an invoice can be uh, a real pain. And FreshBooks is designed a super intuitive tool to make creating and sending these invoices simple. It takes just 30 seconds to create and send an invoice. You can add your company logo for that extra touch. And FreshBooks will give your clients tons of ways to pay you. FreshBooks integrates uh, with card payments, they integrate with services like PayPal, and they can seriously improve how quickly you get paid. In fact, FreshBook customers get paid on average five days faster. You can see whether or not your client has looked at an invoice, so there's no more excuses or lost invoices. You know that they opened it and saw it. And you can even set up automatic late payment reminders too, so if someone's dragging their feet a little bit, FreshBooks will just give them a nudge and remind them that you're there. And that's just the invoicing. FreshBooks has so many other features to help keep you organized. You can easily track all of your expenses. You can get rid of that box full of receipts that everyone keeps. And if you're in the U.S., you can automatically import your bank transactions for uh, easy reconciliation. So you can see, I spent this here. Oh, it's this expense. You can marry them together uh, real quickly and easily. And their recently revamped mobile app lets you take photos of your receipts and FreshBook organizes them for later. So if you're out, you take a, a client out for lunch, snap a picture of it with your iPhone and you can uh, deal with it uh, on your own time and not, not forget the receipt and the expense be gone forever. You can even create expense reports, making claiming expenses a tax time a breeze. Uh, they have great reports as well. So you can easily see uh, who owes you what. You can use tons of third-party integrations. You can do time tracking and all of this is backed by an amazing support system. Support is at the core of FreshBooks, and they really believe in it. There's no phone tree. You call them, and someone will pick up. If the support uh, team is swamped, uh, 
Everyone at FreshBooks is ready to help you. Support is something that everyone does at FreshBooks. All the phones at the company will ring and someone will be there for you. Now, getting started on FreshBooks is extremely simple. You really don't have to be a numbers person because they offer a 30-day free trial to listeners of this show. No credit card required. So, to go claim your 30 days of unrestricted use, go to freshbooks.com slash upgrade and enter the uh, offer code upgrade in the how you heard about it section so FreshBooks know you came from us. Thank you so much to FreshBooks for sponsoring Upgrade and all of Relay FM. Yay. The Mac. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to talk for a little bit. Not too long. We've been, we, went, we went on about, uh, about software for a while. But um, I want to talk about the Mac. One reason is because you are here. And you are uh, uh, a Mac aficionado and uh, historian, I suppose, at this point, and collector of old Mac things, including uh, most recently a 20th anniversary Macintosh. It's actually right. I left it at the office. It's actually like right here, right next to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a a, a guy in a tuxedo used to bring that to people when they paid $7,000 in in, uh what 1995 uh, money 1996 money uh, 98 but yeah. 1998 money right. i did no. not pay, i did not pay that but i also did not did not come with a tuxedo so what can but you do it wasn't it was 98 97 97 because it was we got we got ours at mac user when i was at mac user so it would have have to have been like spring of uh of uh, 97 yeah there you go it's a weird computer. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. It's super weird. Um, it's one of the weirdest Macs ever made. But but you know, and you've got you've got a lot of old Apple hardware stuff. But but I wanted to bring it up because you were on, and also because Dan Warren wrote a piece on MacWorld last week that was really nice that Phil Schiller retweeted, which I thought was um, I thought that was really cool, which was about the staying power of the Mac. And and I just wanted we talk a lot about like we've just done iOS stuff and all of that. And I thought it was worth taking a minute and talking about. Um, the not losing sight of the appeal of the Mac and the power of the Mac. I mean, you you are a um, you're a Mac user primarily, right? I mean, you're not doing your job on an iPad, are you? No, I'm not, and uh, that's that is the underlying tension of my show with Mike and Federico. That uh, Federico has been iOS first for a long time, and Mike has uh, turned that way recently with the iPad Pro, and and for me though. It's not that I can't do my work on the iPad because, you know, for the most part, Mike and I's jobs are basically the same. You know, what what he does on his iPad, I could do on my iPad. But I still find the Mac to be the place where I'm the most comfortable and I'm the most efficient. And so for me, when it's time to to sit down and, and get something done, I'm going to I'm going to reach for my MacBook Pro uh, even over the the new iPad Pro, which I like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I've been trying. um I've been trying to consider my Mac my work and my uh, and um I'm gesturing now and nobody can see it cuz that's really good bad podcasting. Um, <laughs> uh I use my Mac in in my office. And what I'm not doing is bringing the laptop out into the house much. The office is is separate. I got the door closed. I'm in here. The rest of the house is out there. And and that's that's what I'm trying to do, but I you know that also means that although I can and do use the iPad Pro for work, and I will sometimes go into the house and write some stuff in there, and, and I usually use the iPad Pro for that, um, the, the, my work context is the Mac, and I do rely on the Mac for this stuff. And I can't really imagine working 
I, I, you know, I can work in short bursts or maybe even on a vacation if I could get podcasting to work without bringing a laptop. But I cannot envision at this point, as much as I am enjoying trying to imagine life where you only work on an iPad, I can't envision that as my life at this point. The, the Mac allows me to be so, so productive, having this big screen, having the powerful computer, having all the software and scripting and all sorts of other things. Um, and some of that is, I'll acknowledge, because I've been using the Mac since, what, 1990? <laughs> A long time. <laughs> but, um, but it's, this is my, uh, you know, this is my workplace, essentially, is the screen of this 5K iMac is my workplace. Uh, I think there's something to be said for that. And I, have thought a lot about that sort of approach. So uh, I think we're going to talk about this March event here in a second, but I currently use a, a current generation. So with the force touch trackpad, a uh, 15 inch MacBook pro. And my thought was, Hey, I'm going to use this thing as a laptop alone a bunch of the time. Cause I had this vision when I went self-employed of, uh, I'm going to go work at a co-working space or go work yeah. at a coffee shop. And, yeah. and even here I'm at my office now, uh, and I have a display and a keyboard and a mouse in front of me and I dock the thing just like I do at home. And so I have been thinking about, well, I don't think the 15 inch fits me the way that I thought it would. I bought this over the summer right before I quit my job. Uh, maybe, maybe I should do something different. Maybe I should go with an iMac and then maybe like the 13 inch pro or maybe even a loaded MacBook air as my, when I need a notebook, and, and then try the iPad Pro to sort of fill that space that you were talking about, where right now, if I'm going to do something sort of out in the house, to use your, your language, um, it's going to be my MacBook Pro, and it already has my work stuff on it. So I'm just going to go do work, like it, because it's there, because that's the context in mm-hmm. which I work. And so I, I really like that idea of using the iPad sort of as a not only a secondary device, but a, a device for a different purpose, and not... For, for me, for years, the frustration of iOS was I'm trying to recreate what I have on the Mac on this tablet or on this phone. And when it finally clicked for me, it was like, I, that's not the way I should approach this. I should approach this that this is a very different device, different form factor, different UI, different uh, class of applications. And I should, um, I should maybe treat them differently in my approach. And when I sort of stumbled upon that, it really sort of changed the game for me a little bit. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a I think that's a good point. I, I when I talk about context squi- switching, it's a little bit of that. Like when I am writing on my iPad, it is because I want to be out of my office, and I will go to the bar in my kitchen and put the iPad there and stand up and write there, or I will go sit on the couch and do something that is you know it's not. I, I, I'm using it as a change of pace, and it works really well as that. Um, I also feel like there's. Um, you know, the iPad, uh, I, I was talking over the weekend to a, a, a librarian um, at, our, at my local library, and uh, she was saying how, she, she asked me about um, uh, when are they going to make the iPad more advanced so it's more like a computer. <laughs> That's li- like literally what she said. And I, I, you know, I tried to explain to her that, you know, Microsoft is because they make PCs and they've sort of failed when it comes to, to uh, the uh, the the smartphone especially, but the tablet to a certain degree, that they're trying to now make PCs that are also tablets. You know, the Surface is is powered by Windows and the Surface Book, right, which is kind of a disaster in terms of being a tablet because it has very little battery life and has to have a second processor and all this stuff. But Microsoft is co- committed to convergence because their business makes them um, 
the strength of their business is in PCs, so they want to converge them. Whereas Apple is still fighting it, right? A- Apple still wants to not make a toaster fridge. They want to have iOS devices and, and they want to have Macs. And, and so I started to wonder while I was talking to her, um, things like, you know, Apple's stated philosophy is we want to keep those things separately. What does it mean when the iPad sales are faltering like they are? Is that good for the Mac? Because they, they are making things like the MacBook, which is obviously inspired by the iPad, but it's a Mac. Um, or, or you know, do, do we think that's good for the Mac? Or, or is that a concern that, um, that if the iPad is faltering, Apple might try to do something rash, like make a toaster fridge? Uh. It is a question, I, I and I have a tendency to believe guys like Phil Schiller when they say we're going to keep these things separate. But at the same time, you guys spoke about it last week that that free fall the iPad business in. I can't help but think the iPad Pro to a degree was a reaction to that. I think the iPad Pro is a great product. Uh, I like you and Mike bought one and love it. And um, but I can't help but think that maybe this was a hey we need to try something new here. Let's go bigger. Let's put a keyboard on. Let's make it more of a professional tool and uh, as opposed to maybe how people are using them now. Uh, But all that aside, uh, for now at least they are separate. And I think that the fact that the Mac has done so well for so long, uh, it's what, 32 years? Um, That's a heck of a run. And and with OS X now being really, you know, 15 years old or so, kind of depending on how you count it, that's a good run as well. And they, it's a very, in many ways, a very stable platform and a very mature platform. You see all this churn in iOS still of doing a lot of new things and trying new things, adding things like uh, extensions and redoing the interface a couple of years ago. You don't see that on the Mac as much now, right? The Mac has, has settled down. Right. And I think that's good. I think it's for people like you and I who depend on them every day. I'm kind of glad that the Max Wild days seem to be behind it. I don't, I don't want them to roll out a new version of OS 10 and all of a sudden I have major compatibility issues with a bunch of the software I use. And that wasn't always the case. It really wasn't the case when I first came to the Mac. There was a lot of churn. I came right during the, the nine to ten transition. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Like I learned like all the ins and outs of like the classic Mac OS and like oh. That's going away, by the way. Like, I know you just uh-huh. learned how to like debug, uh, you know, Apple Talk nodes, but that doesn't really it's matter. It's not going to. The first five years in any operating system, right, are, are like the Wild West, and we we got to see that in the early days of OS X, and then that happened, and uh, in iOS, and it's sort of even on iOS, it's shaking out, but in the Mac, it's sort of shaken out. Exactly. So, I mean, so you've got a five K iMac. What what do you hope to see from from Apple? Uh, with the Mac of the next year or so. Well, that, that's uh, I'm curious about that. I mean, we, all these talk about like an iOS event in March or uh, an Apple event in March, and I I keep thinking when when are we going to see that story about when new Macs are coming? Like, right. I would like to know what when new Macs are coming, and nobody's talking about it. And I started to wonder: w- would there be new Macs at that event in March? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, you know, does anybody care? Uh, or or is the iPhone the you know, the iPhone and, and pushing the iPad, is that is that the focus and the Mac will happen on its own timeline? I mean, inside Apple, there's a Mac team and, there you know, there's a Mac PR team, not, not just a, a, a Mac, like, technical team. There's a Mac PR team and there's an iPhone PR team and there's, a you know, an a, a iPad PR team. So it's not like um, 
they they would have to work together on that, or they can just go their own way and plan their own um, quieter Mac rollout. And maybe it's not even an event, it's press briefings or something like that. But I do wonder about that. Everybody keeps talking about how they need to turn over, they need to turn over to the new Intel processor architecture. And they, they are, a lot of people are looking at Thunderbolt. And Thunderbolt 3, which is pin compatible or port compatible, plug compatible with USB-C, right? So I think all of us kind of hope that that's the big story on the Mac in 2016 is this move to the USB-C plug, but it's actually Thunderbolt 3, so it kind of can do anything. Um, and I think that would be great. Uh, I also am really curious to see what happens with the MacBook and if they re refashion it in some way and uh upgrade it or if they just sort of let it ride and say it's nope it's still going to be what it is <laughs> maybe they make that a thunderbolt 3 port but otherwise it's just sort of like one port that's it sorry it's, it is what it is or if they go well, okay two ports you know or if they just take the headphone jack away and laugh at us i don't know <laughs> the macbook i think is the most interesting one to look at well I, I i'm with you i really can't decide if this is going to be like that first MacBook Air, and then a couple years later they say, hey, you know what, we're going to keep the name and we're going to keep this idea of being um, thin and light, but we've you know rebuilt the entire thing from the yeah. board up. The little drop-down door is gone. Oh, and my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The iPod hard drive. Like, I don't uh-huh. want to run a computer on an iPod hard drive. It's no. a terrible idea. But um, so, uh, so I think the MacBook is, is one to watch. But I do think this storyline of Skylake and... Thunderbolt 3 and USB-C, like, that's an interesting one. You know, for me, having a current MacBook Pro, part of this, too, is like, well, I have a Thunderbolt display at home, and I've got a Thunderbolt dock here at the office. Uh, Is all that stuff going to work if I buy a new MacBook Pro? Uh, Am I going to be able to adapt down to what I have now? Am I going to uh, spend even more money if they also release a Retina Thunderbolt display that, that works with the new machines? Like, if they do that, I am just, I'm in trouble. So I think... I feel like the Mac is like on the edge of this like big upgrade that we see every three, four, or five years. I think we saw it when they went unibody. I think we saw it when they, they went retina. I think we're going to see it again now where sort of the underlying technologies that we've had for a long time, for several years now, are uh, it's time to get those changed out. And uh, I think that's exciting. I hope that they have some products ready in March. Um, I think they probably will. I think, yeah. but I, I do think the iOS is going to be the push and, you know, maybe this will be a press release type thing. I see some Mac. rumors that, but they're like Digitimes kind of rumors. So the batting average isn't fantastic, but there are rumors that we might see an announcement of like the new MacBook and uh, the 13 inch MacBook pro mm-hmm. with Skylake and USB C Thunderbolt three um, at the March event. But who knows? Who knows whether they Apple's going to calculate how they want to communicate that, and is that the best place to, to talk about the Mac, or are they better off kind of targeting? They do, they, you know, right? We've seen them. They roll products out in all sorts of ways now. They do, they do briefings and make announcements with press releases and embargo drops, and sometimes they do events. So you know, maybe they would mention something on stage in March, or maybe they would uh, wait until April or something and then announce it in some other way. But if those rumors are accurate, then that would be that would be really nice because then we're we're seeing the beginning of a wave of Skylake and Thunderbolt 3 Mac updates that would carry us for the rest of the year, which would be, um, that would be awesome. I think so. Um, so I guess, I guess we'll yeah. see, you know, it's- I, might, I might actually, that might be enough to make me think that the MacBook is a product I might buy someday, even though I don't like the keyboard. Um, that, that might be Thunderbolt, the Thunderbolt 3 and the ability to have that kind of um, connection speed and power would be 
intriguing, at least. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. All right, we should do some ask upgrade. We should. Even though Mike's not here. That's the first question is, where's Mike? And he is, the answer is, in bed. Still uh, gone. Still gone. He'll be back next week, probably. Um, he's feeling better. He just We need to get his voice better. Send him some honey and some uh, lemon and some tea. Um, squirt the lemon in his eye. Pour the honey on his face. Wow, and you're splash, terrible. And you're splash, terrible to sick people. <laughs> splash the tea on his chest. I think that's how you do it. This episode of Upgrade is brought to you by MailRoute. You've heard me talk about them before. In 2016, IT departments are going to be expected to do more with less, as always. And that includes the most important stuff, stopping spam and virus attacks from going into your email network. Uh, there have been a lot of end-of-life announcements for hardware and software options for email protection. Postini went away, MX Logic, And uh, then there's MailRoute, who is... These are, these are people who have been focused on email for basically their entire careers. Since 1997, this team has been focused exclusively on email protection. And what MailRoute does is mail protection. That's their business. They aren't doing a side business. They're not trying to upsell you on some other cloud services. This is what MailRoute does. It protects your email and your hardware against spam, viruses, and other attacks. You don't have to install any hardware or software. You own your domain. You point the MX records to MailRoute. MailRoute takes your mail, processes it, filters out all the bad stuff, and then passes the mail along to your mail server. It's that simple. It supports LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, mailbagging, Stephen, this is where you shot mailbagging. Mailbagging! Thank you. Outbound Relay, everything you'd want from the people who are handling your mail, and they are offering price matching right now for McAfee MX Logic customers. If you are being left in the lurch, check out MailRoute. You can sp- stop spam right now uh, with a th- free 30-day trial of MailRoute. You go to MailRoute.net slash upgrade, and you can get 10% off for the lifetime of your account. So if you've got a large organization or corporation and you want to try out MailRoute, your organization or corporation, 10% off forever. Go to MailRoute.net slash upgrade or send an email to sales at MailRoute.net. They do it better. They've been doing it longer than anyone else. Thank you to MailRoute for sponsoring. Hashtag AskUpgrade. Pew, 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 pew. All right, that's a first t- try at lasers, but uh, I'll wow. take it. It was more like six. Wow. That was like a six gun. That was like an old west shoot 'em out. Hey there, partner! I, it's time for the lasers. I definitely was doing finger guns as I said it. Like yeah. I'm not ashamed to okay. admit that to lots and those, lots of people. Those were six shooters, not lasers. I'm just letting you know. So well, reload them. It's different here in the south. <laughs> Jeff asks: Will Apple release an iPad Air three keyboard at launch? Um. Wow. <laughs> well, if they've got a smart connector, there's got to be something attached to it, right? Why would they put a smart connector? The rumor is that there'll be a smart connector on the iPad Air 3. Why would you do that and have no no accessories for it? So I, I'm going to say yes. Um, I wonder what that will be. I wonder how you can do that because it can't be a full-sized keyboard for that. But maybe instead they'll do something, just thinking off the top of my head, maybe they'll have a partner. Something like the Logitech Create keyboard, maybe they'll have a partner, perhaps even Logitech, that has a keyboard that you sort of snap into a case, and it's a full-sized keyboard, and you put the Air 3 in it, maybe a Create 4 iPad Air 3, because the problem is if you do it as a cover, um, it's not going to be a full-sized keyboard, because the iPad Air is smaller than the iPad Pro, so the keyboard has to be smaller. Um, So that would be, if I had to predict, that's what my prediction would be, is that they'll work with a partner instead. 
Yeah, I, t- I tend to agree. I think the 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 width issue is the only thing that really breaks this smaller smart keyboard down for me. Where it, the iPad Pro smart keyboard is pretty nice to type on because you have the width of a regular yeah. keyboard. But by the time you put you know you put the keyboard in it, you have all the stuff that goes around it, and you got to fold it up and everything. Um, it's going to be a little squished. And uh, Apple made such a big deal about this is a full size keyboard. Yeah. You know they always push that language. I think it'd be weird for them to say, oh, this is almost what we usually sell, but it's like 70% the size. Sorry. Okay. Mm. Maybe they'll do it, but they might. my guess is that they, they'll have some other sort of solution to get around it where the keyboard can be wider than the iPad itself. Unless the keyboard unfolds or something. It'd be very right? exciting. But uh, it seems unlikely. That, that's, my, that's, that's my feeling. But thanks, Jeff. Michael, not our Michael, no. another Michael. Properly spelled, Michael. Uh, are there any classic <laughs> Mac slash Apple devices you'd love to use again if stuffed with modern specs and features? Wow. That's a good one. It's um, a good question. I would love, even though the screen would be small, I would love a, uh, I would love a, a, an original iPhone <laughs> with modern specs. I think that would be amazing because I love the design of the original iPhone. It's got some issues. It's got some compromises, um, but I do love it. So, so that would be something I would try. I do have a fourth generation iPod that I installed a flash drive in. So it's got, you know, huge capacity and doesn't make any, you know, spinning up noises and vibrations or anything like that because it's entirely solid state now. And that's kind of fun because it's a big iPod, but there's nothing in it. It's super light. <laughs> um, and in terms of... Other stuff, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, my real my real answer, my non-fantasy answer is I'd really like my 11-inch MacBook Air to be Retina. And, and <laughs> honestly, yeah. Yeah. You would uh, like that, a current computer to, to be modern. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would like my 11-inch MacBook Air. I don't even need, um, you know, new ports and stuff in it. And it's got an i7 in it. It's a very powerful system. I would love a retina screen in it like that is in the macbook that that would be my dream because that would be make it a much better system if it was just retina what about you steven uh for me the the hardware device that comes to mind almost immediately is the imac g4 so those playing along at home uh, it's not like the bondi blue imac it was a a white like a like a volleyball cut in half yeah the sawed off volleyball yeah exactly as and the arm uh there was a chrome arm and an lcd floated above it so you Mm. could you could have the display at any angle you want to i have one of these unfortunately the neck has sort of lost its rigidity so that it sort of droops but it's still a stunning design and the the beauty of it is you could do basically anything with it that was comfortable for you so people used it real down low and hunched over some people brought it all the way up and it was just really flexible. Someone could sit down next to you and you could basically just push the edge of the display away from you and it would pivot over so you could show your desk mate or something what you were working on. Huh. It was a really just a great a great looking machine and one that I think would be um I think it'd be fun to have a, a modern equivalent to it because the G four, not so modern anymore. No. I did have one other answer though. Uh, I'm gonna take the spirit of Michael's question and apply it to software. I think that uh Hypercard would be really great to bring back, and and Hypercard did a bunch of things. We'll put a Wikipedia link in the uh, show notes so you can kind of read up on it. But Hypercard was the place that so many people first learned about programming, and not in the sense that you're sitting down and writing code, but in the way that I have this data and I need to manipulate it this way. I need it to to trigger something else over here and build this thing for me here and 
the ability to link things together um, was was really revolutionary for a lot of people, I think. And it, um, you know, Automator has some of that spirit in it where you can get into Automator, do some of the stuff. Of course, AppleScript has a lot of this in it as well. But the the hypercard interface and the way that it was put together, I think, just really clicked with so many people who are admittedly older than I am, but uh, made a big difference in a lot of people's like computing experience. And and I think got a lot of people hooked into sort of programming and making the computer work for them. And I think that the Mac and I think especially iOS could benefit from something like this, where you could go in and create little programs and and do a little bit of development work to solve a problem that only you have. Um, it, but in a way that's not at all, um, I guess intimidating, you know, if I think about learning how to, how to write a, an app, it's really intimidating to think about and hypercard sort of had a real low barrier to entry. I think that was a pretty unique combination of things. Hmm. Yeah. I, there have been a lot of attempts to create like a hypercard for the web. Mm-hmm. Um, which or, or you know a cloud hypercard a hypercard web app and uh i don't know i mean this is it, it's interesting the idea of something you could argue in some ways that the web is kind of hypercardy but it's too complicated as it is so um yeah and and if you search you can see th- lots of think pieces over the last 5 years saying the web needs a hypercard the ipad needs a hypercard uh but you know having there is power to having something that just comes on your on your device that lets you, as especially if you're a kid, like create some really basic, often kind of dumb stuff. The equivalent of what I did on my Apple II of you know ten print hello twenty go to ten. Oh look, it says hello a lot forever until you <laughs> until you break the program. Um, but you need you should have something like that. And uh, and so yeah, that's a cool idea. That's that's definitely something that would be fun to if you could use your magic wand, create a modern. Uh, hypercard somewhere justin asks how do the speakers on the ipad pro compared to the speakers in mac laptops uh yeah actually uh it last night played a sa- the same song on, on my ipad pro and then i have the 15 inch MacBook pro but the speaker modules are basically the same um oh the 15 inches have a grill anyways uh, I digress. I will say the the Mac speakers are still better, but not by much. The iPad Pro is worlds better, both in terms of volume and clarity, than any other iOS device. Yes, they're really giving the laptops a run for their money, and uh, it's it's interesting. The iPad Pro, if you're not familiar, has speakers on both both ends of it. So if you're in in landscape, for instance, like watching something on Netflix. Uh, the sound sort of comes from everywhere around yeah, you. It's really yeah. pr- pretty and, great. And the stereo effect is really noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, so much better than what we have now on iPads, on other iPads. But it was sort of funny sitting on the, uh, the couch the night watching something on Netflix. And my wife was like, that's, that seems loud. I was like, Oh yeah. Because you're generally like the way that I sat on the couch, the speaker would fire towards the back of the couch, like just the way I was holding my iPad and the way I was sitting. And now it kind of comes out from both sides. And it was mm. sort of just a funny little example of how the iPad Pro speakers have changed. But um, it, it's definitely a huge improvement. And I would say if they're not already as good as the, the notebooks, uh, the, the MacBook Pros, uh, it's definitely neck and neck at this point, I think. And I only have MacBook Airs in this house, and it's better than those. Yeah, that, yeah, the MacBook Air speaker is not <laughs> very sad. good. No, uh, I, I will say the the MacBook, the little one, 
and my wife has one. The speakers in that thing are really good, huh. especially considering the size. Better than the air. You know, the air speaker is actually like in the like inside the aluminum case, and they like fire through the case, and it's kind of strange. But yeah. um, anyways. Yeah, up, up through the keyboard or something. It's weird. Yeah, it's like it's so weird. close to being a, a direct line, but uh, but not so much. All right, Chris one last want, question. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Chris wants to know uh, what is your perfect pizza. Uh, well, mine, my perfect pizza has gluten in it, Stephen. I'll tell you that. And dairy. And sad, dairy. Sad, sad question for me. Yeah. Ouch. Sorry yeah. to sorry to bring it up. Uh, my perfect pizza. I don't know. Uh, I'll say homemade dough because I I make my own pizza dough and I I do like it. Um, and I'd say my perfect pizza is uh, oh Joe Steele is in the chat room. I hope right now. My favorite pizza is pepperoni and pineapple. And so I would that's that would be it. It would be pepperoni and pineapple pizza. I love it, and it's perfect. And that would that would really be it. That would be my that would be my perfect pizza. John Syracuse would at this point say that's not a pizza. I don't care. That would be my perfect pizza. Uh, I miss pizza. Yeah, yeah, and you can't... The thing is, you could get a gluten-free crust that would probably be okay. They're but terrible. Then, but, then, but then they're, well... But but it, the cheese would make it all better, but you can't have the dairy either. It's true, and uh, <laughs> vegan cheese is the worst. Yeah. So I've not found a single one that is uh, edible, so... I've just given it up. Yeah. So, so your perfect wow. pizza is is one full of gluten and dairy that you can digest. Yeah, exactly. A dream pizza, if you will. <laughs> yes. Uh, if I had a different body, then I could yeah. eat pizza again. All right. But I don't. Oh, well. Maybe virtual reality can help. I don't know how that would be. <laughs> What are you looking there. forward to in VR? Uh, faking eating pizza. Yeah, pretend virtual pizza. That's it. That's the answer. We solved it. That seems like a good place to end the show. I, f- I feel like it is. Thank you for filling in for Mike. We this at the last minute. We appreciate it. Uh, we hope you know. We both hoped that Mike would be better today, and he's uh, he's better, but he's not he's not good enough yet. So thanks no, for fun. thanks for being on. It's always fun. I will talk to you again um, later because we are going to do uh, we're going to do a liftoff. Uh, we do a podcast called Liftoff that also posts on Mondays every other week. And so uh, if you're interested in space stuff, uh, you should listen to that podcast because it's pretty good. And Stephen and I do it. It's true. And next, uh, this next episode is going to be special. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go visit a NASA facility, and then I will report back next week about it. So. You're going to be the reporter in the field. Yeah, apparently so. It's, that's pretty exciting. They're not shooting me into space or anything, though. I'm just going to go be on the ground. <laughs> you Keep my feet copied, on the ground. You weren't copied on that email? No, no. Hmm keep my mouth shut okay wow that's a really special episode then <laughs> all right well uh so thanks to everybody out there for listening to upgrade you can of course send us feedback at, uh at, on twitter we are underscore upgrade fm you can uh use the hashtag ask upgrade i am jay snell on twitter mike is i mike i m y k e steven is i s m h so you can find him there and uh you can of course read all about us relay.fm slash upgrade slash 75 or in your podcast app of choice for the show notes and uh that's about it thanks to our sponsors casper fresh books and mail route and we will see you next week say goodbye Stephen hackett adios